All right, episode 45 with Susan Rose. Susan is an amazing lighting designer and programmer. She has been touring with Ringo Starr for the last several years, and we had a nice chat about her career and life. Sit back and enjoy our conversation with Susan Rose. All right. We are rolling with uh, Susan Rose in Tennessee right now, and I have to admit that, uh, uh, well, we have a, a mutual friend, Dennis Lee. Um, uh, oh, yeah. And I've known Dennis for years and years, and I actually just did a podcast with him. Um, but uh, I've followed you on the socials and, and been watching your career over the years, and and uh you're a fantastic uh, lighting designer and programmer and um, and also a great singer and kind of a multi-talented person. So it's cool to have you on the podcast and I've been wanting to chat with you for a while. So so welcome and, and it's nice to have you here. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me here. It's, it's an honor. Thank you. So you're in Tennessee. We were just chatting before we started here and, and uh, you're in the kind of Pigeon Forge area, the Gatlinburg area, and, and that's a very touristy town lots of theaters and and uh it, it's it's kind of wide open again and in, in, in this covid area and people coming like crazy and and shows are going on and uh it's interesting that's happening there and it's 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 working but then you see yesterday announcing broadway's closed till the end of the year and cirque de soleil's filing for bankruptcy and yeah uh, i saw that yeah that's uh it must be interesting being around all that where you're living now. It is, you know, we're, we're one of the first major tourist destinations in the country, in, our, in, the, in, the, in the United States, to be open, which is good and bad. You know, I feel like we're kind of a guinea pig right now to see what happens. I'm staying out of it. Um, I'm not going anywhere near it. I'm staying as far away from it as I can right now because, I mean, people are flocking here. I mean, I, it's, it's crazy. I, I feel like this summer is actually busier. We're always busy in the summer. It's one of our peak times. And of course the fall is our real peak time, but yeah. um, it is just bumper to bumper traffic. And I sit in traffic and look at these license plates, you know, Florida and Kentucky and North Carolina and South Carolina and all these, you know, drive, we're a big driving destinations, you know, we're, we're close to everything here. And, um, you know, all these people are just been in pent up for the last couple of months. And they're like, whoa, we can escape now. We can go on vacation. Let's go to Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg. And um, we have pretty much open full force here. Um, I'm not really all that proud of that. <laughs> I know we have to for business and the economy. But at the same time, um, I think we need to take it seriously. Um, the restaurants and the theaters are doing a good job of doing um, the guidelines for the social distancing. And, but with that being said, still it's our responsibility to be careful ourselves. You know, like when I, if I do go anywhere, I do have masks that I wear in and, in and out of a building, especially if I have to go in anywhere. Yeah. Um, I carry hand sanitizer with me. Um, it's a different world we're living in right now, but yeah, pretty much majority of our theaters are up and rolling now. I think we are the first people probably in the country to do full shows. I mean, their concerts are starting now too, a little bit driving concerts, but um, we're probably the only theaters open. I don't, I don't know that for a fact, but I don't really know of any others. Cause like we said, Broadway is closed. Vegas is closed. 
um, our theme park, Dollywood, um, we're not doing any indoor shows there. They're, they're treating it as reservation only. So they're only putting the park at a certain capacity right now. Um, but people are required to wear masks all day there when they come in, um, which is going to be interesting this summer when it's 95 degrees outside. Um, I'm not going to go there (laughs) right now, even though they're one of my clients, I do a lot of work for them, but, um, there's no shows really going on right now. I think they have a couple of outdoor stages with like little, you know, bluegrass bands or country bands playing on them, but, um, it's 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 interesting around here right now for sure yeah and it's interesting that like the drive-in situation everyone's trying to start up these drive-in shows uh Mm -hmm. i think that's a good idea though i've actually been thinking about that for a while and and, i mean i'm not the only one to have the idea obviously but you know we have a lot of drivers still here in the the united states and i think this is going to be a rebirth of them again honestly because a lot of them are just begins only or have gone out of business but you know, I, I think drive-ins would be a perfect facility to to double their money. They can have movies in there. They can have a stage to do concerts. And then I just saw Alan Jackson, who's a big country artist here. Yeah. Um, he's been around for a long time. I, I you probably heard of him. Oh, yeah. But they're testing out this drive-in movie theater tour. They're not necessarily doing drive-in movie theaters, but they're di- getting these big fields. And I saw a picture of the set. They were using a stage, just a portable stage line stage. The production is definitely scaled down. And it was designed to look like a a drive-in theater. And then um, they charge per car load. And they have the cars just in the part in the field. And you can watch. I think you can tune into your radio to listen to it like you would at a drive-in. But they also have a PA set up. So um, if that were, and then Garth. Garth is trying something. Um, I'm not sure how this is, if I would necessarily want to go to this because it's like watching a movie, but yeah. with actual drive-in theaters, the other night he did one and actually one was here in Maryville um, where they're doing, he's having a live performance somewhere. I'm not sure where, but then they're doing it live, live broadcasted to these drive-in movie theaters. So you're watching a live concert on a screen. I, I'm not so sure about that because it's, to me, you're just watching a video, you know, but I don't know. As far as I know, it wasn't live. It was pre-recorded. It oh, um, which makes I, it even more like, well, I'm just watching, I watch this at home on TV, you know? Yeah. Cause it's basically impossible. Cause they, they showed it up here too. And it's, you know, across North America at nine o'clock. Well, it's time zoned. Um, right, right. So some places it's going to be bright out. Other places it's going to be dark out. Um, yeah, and the th- movie theaters don't have streaming equipment to right, be able right. to stream something of quality. So r- r- for first, when he actually when he announced it, uh, I saw it on Good Morning America, and I was like, "Oh, cool! He's going to all these drive-ins and doing shows." Um, and then I was like, "That's what I thought at first too." Then I found out it was a video. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know." I thought the same thing, and it's like, well, I mean, he's still very successful, and um, the. The thing up here, they're doing a lot, and I've seen. Oh, well, I've seen the Alan Jackson thing on. I, I took a good look at that, and I looked at the some of the aerial views of the parking, and it was so wide, the parking that if you were anywhere on either end, there was no almost any even visualization of the stage. Yeah, um, a bit of a screen that you could see. Uh, and I, I kind of think this back. There's a part of me think it's it's a really cool idea. I think people are going to go and check it out a couple times, and unless you 
you got really great parking spot, it's going to be a subpar experience. Um, and and I, my thought is that it's it's going to be cool for for a couple times out, and then you're going to be like, yeah, we couldn't really see very well, or um, right. And are they going to pop you know a hundred bucks again or whatever it would be um, to go? I don't know. I could be totally wrong, but. Um, I think for me, I would go just just to get out and and experience the ambiance and feeling of a live concert, you know, because we're all missing that now. We've all been stuck at home watching everything on our computer and televisions and just to be in an environment where something live is happening. You know, I I don't know. I think it kind of feeds that that desire that we all have just to get out and, and see a lot. Even if I can't see the stage very well, I'm there and I'm hearing it, you know, and I do think that if that does work, that tours are going to start doing that, but it's going to be different for people like us on the technical end because everything's going to be scaled way down. Yeah. You're not going to be carrying the big giant LED walls and lighting rigs and the thousand moving lights and, you know, big sound systems and video crews. You're not going to be, you're going to be doing little bit stages, you know, with limited lighting and limited sound and, and going back to old school kind of, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it is going to scale down um, production um, for a long time or at least for the next year or two, because I don't think people are going to be able to do arena tours or stadium tours right now because you can't put that many people in. And, and that's what pays for the production. So, I mean, yeah. if they're going to have to start limiting capacity of people coming in and they can't charge, you know, hundreds of dollars for tickets anymore because people can't afford it. And that's what pays for the production, a lot of it, you know. So I do think things are going to be way scaled down for a while. Yeah, I think you're right. I think like production's gonna really drop a lot as far as what people are carrying, and because it's not going to be feasible, it's just not going to be able to carry that much gear, and and uh, because the money's not just not going to be there. You take a look at the Live Nation Ticketmaster people, and they're cutting back and renegotiating everybody's tours, what it's going to look like, and yeah, and it's sort of like, oh, this is. we've had a lot of chats up here about how it's going to really reset um, the market where I think a lot of acts were getting probably way overpaid for um, what the market was really, you know, for the ticket price to what they were getting um, right? and the deals that were being made, um, you know, 110% deals um, and, you know, you know, everyone trying to make money on the back end and concessions and beer and, and parking, and that's their, the money they make. So that model works good for a while, um, but now I think it's all going to be kind of reset and, um, you know, the pricing is all going to get restructured, I think. Um, yeah, because Live Nation did announce recently that, like you just said, they're restructuring everything and then they're going to be paying the artists you know, a lot less, the pay cuts. So that's going to interesting to see how many artists decide to go back out and how many just say, ah, we're done, you know, or maybe they'll take their own, book their own kind of tour, you know? Yeah. But we had something happen a couple nights ago that was very disappointing. You know, we're, things are just weird here right now and people are not very smart. And I think this might've been a publicity stunt that backfired, but there was this new country artist, and I don't even can't even remember his name. I never even heard of him. And he did this concert the other night in Tennessee, yeah, over at um, the Brushy Mountain Penitentiary, which is an abandoned prison, but apparently they have a big field there. But they didn't even attempt 
the social distancing. There's, you know, he actually had to pull the videos and photos off of his social media because it's backlashing at him because these people are just crowded in there, just like it was a normal concert, you know, no mask, no nothing. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sorry. When you look at the guy, he kind of looks like one of those cocky, I'm just going to do what I want. And I think it was a publicity stunt to get him an average. I've never even heard of the guy. Yeah. Chase, but then, Chase Rice. Yeah. Okay. I never even heard of him. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. We have Alan Jackson who's doing a drive-in thing and putting people in cars and fields. We have Garth doing the video. And we got this new dude trying to say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and do a regular concert. Yeah. That's just stupid. You know, and he, I bet I will say he's getting a lot of backlash for that year. I mean, a lot of negative backlash that might have ruined his career. Who knows? You know, but he's planning on doing this little tour. And I'm like, you're an idiot. You are putting everybody's lives at risk, even though it's their choice to come, you know, and their choice to be stupid. But still, you know, we have big outbreaks because of that. And, the, and it's like, dude, really? Are you that cocky that you're going to do that? Yeah, and, it, and it's it's everybody. It's the promoter. It's the agent who took the gig, and um, yeah, you know, and and it, what's what's the insurance like on that gig? Was it insured? Was it actually insured? Because that, exactly, that I could don't know. ruin everybody there. Someone gets COVID from being there and starts mm -hmm. suing everybody. There's a lot of people to sue. Um, I'm I'm wondering if they're gonna implement a thing of like a waiver kind of thing, like they did for that rally we had a couple weeks ago where if you buy this ticket you're you're releasing up us of any liability i don't know i mean I, I can't imagine any insurance company or underwriter you know backing something like this especially right now you know i can't i, I can't imagine what they're doing right now to to cover their butts so to speak you know but i just think it's it's a bad idea to do what they're doing you know and um you know as far as doing concerts with people shoulder to shoulder and not requiring masks, not requiring anything, you know, and supposedly they're taking temperature and, but okay. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. We're still quite a few months out to knowing how it's going to really play out, but um, yeah. And like here in Pigeon Forge too, in Gatlinburg, all the tourists, you know, us and we're not the only town. Myrtle beach is also um, really, really busy another popular tourist town it's only six hours from here so it's driving distance for people too and yeah. a lot of people are flocking there as well to go to the beach um i don't know if their theaters are open there i haven't really heard um but uh yeah so i mean we're, it'll be interesting maybe i mean if if nothing happens then we'll all kind of have to relook at that too and go well, oh okay but it's it's too soon to tell whether we're going to have a, an influx of people dropping over dead here or people are going to be like, we're fine. I, it's just too soon to tell. We've only been open not even a month yet. Yeah. Little, little, yeah. Just, just under a month. And um, we're really, really getting swarmed with people now. So it'll be interesting another month to kind of see where we are. Yeah. So. See how, if it's, you know, if it's peaked at all and cases are going up or people start staying at home again, or I think people need better direction. Um, and even just the fact of here's the proper way to wear a mask and um, and educate people a bit more on all that stuff. Because they say it's good to wear a mask, it's good to wear a mask, and we recommend it. Um, but they really don't spend 
a lot of times saying, make sure when you're wearing one to wear it like this or don't wear it with your, you know, your nose exposed or it's around your I chin. I see and, so many people when yeah. they pull down like that. I'm like, that's doing you no good. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody any good. It's no. Like, oh, come on, people. Yeah, it's interesting for sure. Well, let's, let's leave COVID talk for a bit and do a little more uh, Susan talk. Uh, you're a Florida girl, right? Were you born in Florida? Yeah, I'm actually originally from Orlando, and I was born and raised there, um, but I've been in and out of Tennessee since 92, so I feel like I'm more of a Tennessean than a Floridian, yeah. I've been here a lot longer than I ever was in Florida, but yeah, I actually started my life and my career, as far as my music career in Florida, and then my lighting career was actually born in Nashville back in the 90s, but yeah, I actually was born and raised in Orlando, Florida. So yeah, you started off more... Uh, as a singer uh mm -hmm. and so were you singing when you're pretty young when when did you when did you start singing when i was 14 oh. i just you know I, I wasn't born in entertainment my parents were not in entertainment i was actually really shy when i was little which nobody ever believed that but <laughs> i was um but being a performer i always tell people you know being a performer you kind of create this this alter ego this other personality and all of a sudden you get on stage and you're somebody else and people like you and you're like oh you know and i i i i, I was kind of like a hannah montana before her time yeah. you know when i was in high school because i was this really shy nerdy kid in school and at nighttime the hair and makeup went on i get on stage i was like ah, you know and i had like, these true gemini two personas for a long time you know but um i just you know my mom got me into like she was trying to get me out of my shyness, so she started getting me into like little dance classes and acting classes. And all of a sudden, I got on stage one day and sang in a talent show. My parents were like, "We didn't know you could sing." I'm like, "Me neither." <laughs> <laughs> well, um, she was taking me to this place called the Cheyenne Saloon in Orlando, which was a big. It was a big. It was when before all the entertainment complexes became big, like Pleasure Island and City Walk and Church Street Station was like the predecessor to all that. And it was it was family. All ages went and. We went there, and I started getting into country dancing. I loved the band there. I thought the chick singer was hung the world. I was like 12, 13 years old, and I wanted to be like her. And so for my 14th birthday, um, one of my birthday was to get on stage and sing with the band. And it was a Saturday night. The place was packed. And I came in early and rehearsed a song with them. And I got on stage that night, and I just knew that's where I belonged. And all of a sudden, they asked me to... To, they used to do a live radio show there every Thursday. And they said, you know, we come start singing on that. So I started singing on that. And I started getting gigs around town because back then, I, you know, I looked, I looked older. I sounded older. I was kind of more novelty because I was this kid that, you know, looked and sounded a lot more mature than I was. And so I started getting in little bands around town and um, became really popular, you know. So my mom would take me out singing. In these places, she had to be with me, of course, because I was a minor. And um, all of a sudden, I had my own bands, and I was doing all this, you know, TV shows. And you know, I still, I was still a straight A student in school. She says, as long as it doesn't affect your your school, you can do this. I'm like, okay, this is fun. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So my music career kind of took off. I got a my late teens. I got a record deal and um, ended up getting a one one song in Cashbox when Cashbox was brown cashbox top 100 it only got like in the 70s but my music career just kind of took off and um i was gonna be a country star no i had never thought in a million years i'd be doing lighting of course back then lighting was not even lighting yeah <laughs> so lucky to have Some you know, a bar camp. 
Yeah. This is back in the 80s, you know, 80s and 90s. And um, so fast forward, you know, to the 90s, I started, you know, really establishing my music career. I was performing on a couple of cruise ships and um, I performed at Dollywood, ironically enough, in 1992. I was a performer there. And it was my first time living in Tennessee. And then in 94, I moved to Nashville to do the music scene and the networking and to become a country music star. And I got a job at Opryland, which oh, is yeah. a theme park that's no longer there, but yep. a lot of stars came out of there. You know, I think Lone Star and Diamond Rio and, you know, a lot of people came out of that park and became, you know, successful. But I got a job as a spotlight operator. That was my day gig. And I was working the concert series and um, Alabama happened to be there that summer, who, who was really popular back then, a country band here in the States. And the uh, Whole Hog console had just come out, the original one. Yep. I knew nothing about lighting. I mean, I had, I had worked as a tech at Disney, and I had worked as a, you know, I pushed go on, on you know, Dollywood. I, I had a part-time gig when I was singing at Dollywood. I was not, in the daytime, I'd perform, and at nighttime, I'd go run lights, ironically enough, for another show. But I was just pushing the go button, you know? Yeah. interested in it, but not like, this is my career. So I get to Nashville with the whole hog and I'm like, wow, this is kind of neat. You know, this big concert rig, we had IntelliBeams and scrollers. I've never seen any of that before, you know? And um, so the LD saw this, this spark in my eye. I'm just a 24-year-old kid going, this is kind of neat. So he started showing me, explaining me how this console works. It was brand new at the time. I mean, there's only a few, a handful in existence. And uh, I play in the afternoons on it, you know, and wow, this is kind of fun, you know? Yeah. And uh, when the concert series was over that summer, nobody knew how to run this console. The park had purchased it. And uh, they were like, who knows how to run this thing? And Susan, you've been kind of playing around on it. You want to do the shows in here this fall? I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. So I really, I mean, I was like, this is fun. And all of a sudden, since we had IntelliBeams, these little nightclubs in town started calling me to come program their lights. And I'm like, when these little LCD controllers, I'm like, well, I guess I'll figure it out. And I just had a knack for figuring out programming, I had no idea that this was like any kind of skill, you know, I'm like, oh, this is easy, this is fun. So the next summer, they asked me to come back and be the LD for that theater there at Opryland, and we were having more acts come in for the concert series, so they wanted me to set the console up for LDs, because nobody knew how to run this thing at, at this particular moment in time. Yeah. Set the console up for the LDs that, that came with the acts, and the acts that didn't have an LD, I got to run. So I started meeting these other LDs and another one in particular took me under his wing, still a very dear friend of mine to this day. And Jed Downing, he took me under his wing and he's like, do you realize that you're really good at this? I'm like, huh? I'm a singer. This is just fun. He's like, and back then there weren't many women doing this either. No. And, um, but he's like, you know, you need to meet, so I want to introduce you to some people because you're really good programmer and we, you know, they really need that right now because that's what's, you know, you know, starting to, lighting is starting to get more advanced now and, and I'm like, uh, well, all right, but it wasn't as accepted then, you know, I was here, this young girl, you know, but then he said, hey, Louise Mandrell's looking for an LD and this is when she was still touring. Yeah. This was in 1995 and, and, and I was like, huh? He's like, I told him about you. I already told him about you that, you know, you're really good. And to give you a chance, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, we'll just go down and talk to him. So I walked in. They were playing in some ballroom in Nashville for some corporate show. And 
I walked in and met the, the director and I said, uh, Jed Downing sent me to talk to you guys. I'm going to be honest with you. I do lights at Opryland. That's really all the experience I have. And they're like, okay, well, we need somebody. You want to give it a shot? Okay. Sure. <laughs> Why not, right? I'm like, you know, I really don't know what I'm doing. But I figured it out really quickly because we weren't carrying production. And I had to use um, what was in each video we played at. And I learned a lot of consoles on the fly. Like, okay, I even got a little use thing. My battleship console one day, the little pins. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, where's the record button? And they're like, they pull out a drawer, these little pins. I was like, all right, we'll figure it But I, I, I toured with her for a year at that point, And I learned so much. And then I actually, you know, was learning how to focus a rig. And I was like, start drawing my own lighting plot. And I was like, this is fun, you know. I still had no idea this was going to be my so I stayed with her for a year and they went to Myrtle Beach to a theater that had just opened has been since torn down, unfortunately, the Grand Palace. But that was my first big production show. They asked me, do you want to come for our Christmas show? We'll be there for six weeks and you can design it and program it. And I'm like, it was different than our little corporate shows we were doing, you know? Yeah. I said, yeah, that sounds fun. So off I went to Myrtle Beach for six weeks. Loved it and thought, man, I'm really starting to love doing lighting. Well, then fast forward right after that, um, I was still trying to be a, a country star and I had had some vocal surgery because I had some uh, vocal issues and I was just coming off of a vocal rest and Lee Greenwood was auditioning for his show and Pigeon I mean, Forward yeah. and I went and auditioned and he hired me like that day. I didn't have a chance to tell Louise yet. In the meantime, they're friends. He'd already called her and said, hey, I'm taking a couple of your people. I want to make sure it's okay. And Louise was like, I thought you had an LD. And he's like, uh, no, she's going to be a singer in my show. <laughs> so I went back to performing for a couple of years, but I still had my hands in lighting, you know, in the meantime, the hog two had come out and, and the flying pig people at the time were coming over and they actually involved me in, you know, come see this new console. You know, you're a hog person. Come see this new, this new console. So, um, I stayed with Lee for a couple of years and I decided to go back into lighting because in 99, she had a theater here yeah. and um, for whatever reason, the guy they hired just didn't work out. So she, I didn't even know she was going to rehire me. They asked me to come do some road shows with them. I said, sure, I'll come out. And then while I was out, she's like, look, um, you know, I've got this theater in Pigeon, in Pigeon Forge now that you know. I said, would you be interested in coming back to work for me? And I said, Sure. So I thought this is 1999 at this point. I thought, well, you know what? I'll go back to, I'll go back for a year. I'll go give it a year until I figure out what I want to do next. And, you know, 21 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> but I stayed with her at theater until it closed. We, our 2005 was our last year um, in that theater. I mean, it's a different theater now, but um, yeah. I stayed with her throughout the, the whole tenure there. And, um, but during that time, I started establishing my freelance career. I, I was getting hired by all these lighting companies to teach the hog. So I would go into Nashville and, and go on these different lighting companies, you know, like um, LSD and Bandit and PRG and all these companies to go teach hog classes. And then I sat down in my basement one day and wrote this hog two quick reference guide that I was just using for a class. It was basically just an because the manuals never make any sense. We all know this, you know. So I wrote this like little thing just to get through a class one day to teach people the basics. Here's how you turn it on. Here's how you patch a fixture. Here's how you create a look and blah, 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 and go. 
have a fun show. And this thing ended up going for the early 2000s, went viral all over the world. Wow. You know, it was translated into multiple languages. You know, I didn't make a dime off. I didn't, I didn't do it for that. But, but the publicity I got off of it, because I was known for that for a long time. I'd, even when I was touring with Ringo, I'd go into these different countries and, you know, people go, oh my God, we use your hog guide all the time. And a lot of colleges are like, we use it all the time. We hope you don't mind. We use it in our classes. <laughs> I'm like, this is the craziest thing. People call me, we're in a live booth right now and we see your things sitting here. I'm like, wow, you know. I was kind of known for that for a while, but um, I was doing that, and I started getting hired to program um, for TV shows and other shows. I was working with other designers, and um, I would ha- I had Louise's pro- uh, show program. This is way before we used time code. Yeah. But I had a couple subs that would sub for me. She she was fine with it as long as it didn't affect her show. So 2003 comes along, and and the interim I had met another. Um, person that became a very dear friend of mine and he was sent to me to help me learn how to fix um, some moving lights that we had in the theater because I, I had to do everything there I had to fix the lights I designed my program I fixed them I ran the crew I mean I did everything yeah. there you know? fixed them again well, we became really good friends and he at the time he was working for Morpheus and um, you know Jeff Rabbits has used Morpheus for years for Ringo and for Bruce Springsteen and they were looking for somebody that a, a lighting director for the tour that knew the whole hug so my friend Pete said, I know this great hog programmer. That'd be awesome for this tour. And that was in 2003. And ironically enough, I love telling the story because everybody gets a kick out of it. Yeah, I grew up with country music. You know, I grew up after the Beatles. I knew the Beatles were, but I just never really followed them that closely. And yeah. they, you know, I get this phone call saying, you know, we're looking for just We're doing a summer tour of like five, six weeks. And we're sending for a lighting director or somebody that knows, you know, the whole hog. You'll be working with Jeff Rabbits and, um, you know, we've, programming for him and then you'll take the show out and i'm like well, that sounds fun they're like yeah it's with ringo star i'm like oh all right and i'm like <laughs> sounds familiar so i get to the theater that night at louise's theater and i go i'm talking to the band i said have y'all ever heard of ringo star and they're like susan please tell us you're kidding and i'm like uh and they're like well have you heard of the beatles I said, oh yeah and they're like, you know, he's he's the drummer. I'm like, oh, all right. And I, I still was just like, you know. Yeah. And 18 years later, I'm still with them. You know, I, I, de- I have, you know, developed a, an amazing respect for the Beatles because they really did revolutionize the music industry. And, I mean, and it's it's neat to go. I don't know what artist nowadays has that staying power because even to this day, it doesn't matter what part of the world we're in, what language is spoken, where English is not even spoken, to watch an audience sing Yellow Submarine, a little help from my friends, and, 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 and feel that energy. And he walks out on that stage and the audience just goes, bah! whether they're from little kids to, you know, which is refreshing to see parents teaching kids about music history. Yeah. Or from little kids yeah. to old people just, ah, and just singing along the songs. And, you know, our band is made up of all stars, you know, of other rock and rollers from the yeah. 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And just to see the en- to feel the energy and to see this, you know, globally, not just here. I mean, globally in Russia, you know, where they really don't speak English at all, and to still see the audience just and singing along, it was just amazing, you know. And and he's he's just awesome to work with. And I'm so sad um, we had to cancel our tour this year. You know, he'll be 80 in July, oh, wow. and um, right now they're they're planning on pushing it up to next summer. 
but it's, it's just too soon to tell really what's going to happen. You know, our, our plan is to go back out, yeah. but yeah. nobody really knows right now, yeah. you know, it's yeah. just too many unknowns, but, but the, but to get back to that in 2003 was my first tour with him and they keep calling me back. So <laughs> I, I've been very blessed to have that gig and to work with Jeff and, um, you know, Jeff and I have a great working relationship. He, he trusts me with the show so I can usually they add new songs. I just, I just program it and do it, you know, cause he knows I'm going to maintain cause he and I have a very similar, you know, I, I've learned from all these other LDs. I learned their, their styles and their palettes and, I incorporate that in my own shows now, you know, so, um, so he trusts me with it and I've, I've been with it ever since. So this would have been my 18th, um, year in it, you know, but we had to cancel, but you know, but that's the rest is history. So when, um, the theater, when she sold the theater, she'd been there, I think nine seasons and just got an offer on the theater, decided to go ahead and get out. Um, at that point, I made that decision to try to go freelance full time because I was really enjoying doing lighting at this point. And it's like, I was still doing music, but it's like my music career led me to lighting. Yeah. And my lighting career allows me to do music now for the passion of it. I'm not trying to compete with all the 20 year olds. Now I have to make a living doing it. I can just do it when I want to. And it's fun, you know, but um, it was a big decision in 2006. It was scary because I thought, Am I ready for this? I could have easily just stayed in that theater with a new owner or, you know, gone to work full time in one of the other theaters or Dollywood or something. And something in my heart said, no, just I had a little money saved up. So I was like, let's give this freelance thing a chance and see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, you can always go back into one of the theaters or a theme park or a ship. I mean, there's always going to be something, you know, yeah. and it was the best decision I ever made because at that point, my lighting career just went <laughs> And just took off and I became busier than I knew what to do with. And um, all of a sudden I'm working like traveling all over the world and doing ships, TV shows and other theme parks. And, um, you know, I did the stuff for Disney for years with the spectacle dancing lights. That was the most challenging programming thing I've ever done. And that was also the most rewarding. <laughs> you know, it was, that was a fun show to do. You know, we had over 5 million Christmas lights and that was when they first started doing all the dancing Christmas lights. Everybody does now. And it was, you know, new. 2006 was my first year on that. And, um, but I don't know. It's just things just kind of fall in, you know, networking is so important, you know, and I've gotten 90% of my gigs has all been, you know, repeat customers now are, are referrals from other clients, um, you know, networking. It's, it's, it's all been kind of being in the right place at the right time. And, you know, and it's just, I don't know. I just sort of, you know escalated and of course living here you know all I need is an airport for what I do so it doesn't matter where I live but I, I love living here and somebody asked me a couple of years ago out of all the places I've been in the world where's my favorite place and I started thinking of some of my favorite places like Singapore and Japan and all these Italy you know yeah but honestly here the Smoky Mountains you know it's beautiful are my backyard and this is my happy place and I I just happen to live here. So I actually live in my favorite place in the world, you know, cause it's just, I've always been drawn to the mountains. I've never been a beach girl. Obviously I've got to connect the dots, albino, you know, sunburn. I yeah. look upon skin. <laughs> so, you know, I've always been drawn to the mountains and, um, I love it. So I stay here. I mean, my the airport's about 45 minutes away. It's not horrible. It's in Knoxville. And, um, but then I got involved obviously in the theater community here, you know, 
I've already had my foot in the door because of Louise. And I, I designed several shows in that same theater over the years, up until two years ago. It was the Smoky Mountain Opry. I did that. And, of course, the Country Night Theater, I still am involved in. I love that theater. That's actually my one of my favorite shows I do because we have um, a very old lighting rig. It's yeah. still parking. Right. <laughs> and um, I have eight moving lights. And I've had to be very creative there to make the most out of what I have to work with. And... Um, Less is more, and I feel like any good LD can make the smallest rig or the most, you know, not big budget rigs look good. And at we that's a beautiful show. At the warmth of the, there's still something to be said about the warmth of an incandescent parkin colors. I have ACLs that we blow all the time, and they, they hate having to buy those, but they look cool. You know, I got strollers, and I have eight moving lights now. I have eight. Um, Alation platinum beams, and they actually replaced all the cyber lights that used to be there. The cyber lights were just breaking left and right because they were old. They were in there for like 20 years. Yeah. So we took the mirrors and mounted them around the stage. And I actually use, I, I love when I do um, panels now, I love showing this picture. I, and Brian Hartley and I joke because he does, you know, Transiberian Orchestra. And I'm like, yeah, I've got the, the Hillbilly version of TSO now. I said, I don't have a budget to go buy, you know, a thousand Sharpies, you know. So I have mirrors mounted all over the stage and um the current lighting director for the theater actually took them a step further this year and built these yokes for them and we we mounted them all over the stage and hung some on tail downs and i focused the lights on them and we focused the mirrors and they bounce out and it makes my eight moving lights look like you know 100 moving lights up there because you see the beam coming out of the light and you see it bouncing back up yeah no <laughs> i see folks and the theater manager was like oh my god <laughs> you know that's brilliant like mm -hmm what what's going on here you know i'm like just smoking mirrors literally it's smoking mirrors you know and yeah. that's actually my favorite show to do and we just we just put a brand new show in this year and you know it's just beautiful you, we don't have all the bells and whistles and led walls and bling bling and a thousand moving lights i've got a lot of park hands eight moving lights so well let's put a bunch of mirrors everywhere <laughs> yeah so say say with that show because i've seen pictures you've posted online uh you were there not too long ago programming uh what's your approach with that i know you're usually sitting there programming all night long and mm -hmm. and uh are you working with a recording of the show and kind of listening as you're building and and going that direction or here's a song you kind of know what's happening in your building what, what's your approach to it well every show is different for me my approach um when I do production shows which you know involve dancers and singers and you know us very structured show yeah. um like on a cruise ship or a theme park or a theater in this case that runs daily um I, I don't like to waste performers time or waste my own time and a lot of times during the day it's just not practical because you got people on stage rehearsing and blocking and you can't black the stage out and people are distracting you so i prefer to work at night by yeah. myself I, mean, I have somebody usually with me I don't care if they're in the green room sleeping. I just want a body there and it's to pull different line sets in or move the set around for me and just be there. I, I don't want to be there really alone, alone. Yeah. But I don't have the distractions. And what I do is I video a run through. I'll have the, like, like this particular one. I had them and I actually brought my video camera in and actually videotaped a full run through. And sometimes I don't have the whole show. I'll, sometimes I have the sections that they blocked, but I, I start working with that. So whatever the case is, I'll videotape it. And I can have a pretty good eye for figuring out where people are on stage just from watching the video. And then I'll come in that night with my computer and put the video on and just watch it and go, okay. And I, I, for some reason, I just, 
I, I don't really have a um, specific thing in mind majority of the time. I mean, I just, I feel it. I always say I, I play lighting like an instrument. I think being a musician, I, I feel it. And I always say I make people see the music. So whatever I start feeling, I start just doing and creating and going, oh, that looks cool. And I, I feel the color combinations. And I find it interesting that us creative people have a same feeling for certain colors for certain types of songs because I'll, I'll, I'll start roughing stuff in. And then I, if, even if I haven't gotten with the costume designer yet, it's interesting when I get with the costume designer to see that the costumes are the similar color palette for that song that I chose the lighting for. I thought, that's really interesting. You know, this particular costume designer I work with at Country at Night, we have a very similar color palette. And it's just kind of cool when he gives me all the costume colors. I'm like, well, that's the colors I had for the song too. You know, so that's not good. But um, I will sit with the, with the video overnight and um, program and I'll see the blocking so I can kind of see where they're standing if I want specific lights coming down. So I'll do this for a few nights and then I'll have them schedule me a cue to cue. And the performers here are used to me. They're used to my style and they're very appreciative, you know, because they're not, they've, they've, I've heard horror stories of them having to stand on stage for hours and hours and hours, you know, and I'm like, I, I'm not going to do that. I was a performer myself. And I think I make a good liaison between the performers and the text because I speak both languages, you know, yeah. They just don't understand. They don't. They think sound and lights just happen. They don't realize that we've been there all night, hanging lights and plugging them in and addressing them and programming. They have no idea. And um, so I tell them we're doing a cue to cue. I always say, guys, I, I may stop you in the middle of a song. I say you don't have to dance full out. Just you know, just go through your blocking. I just need to, you know, I may stop in the middle of a song. I may have you run a couple of times. They're like, okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll start running the lights and then I'll see where I need to stop. And I have a little microphone. I'll go, okay, hey, hold for a second. Hey, can you guys go back to where you were in this first verse? And they all go there to stand there for a minute. And I just adjust my position palette and update it. And all right, go ahead and move on. And the band starts playing again. And they start going. And I go, okay, that's close. H hang on a minute. Hold for a minute. Can you all stand there for a second? Or like the end of a song, can you all hold your ending pose for a second? And I'll put the lights, you know, the lights are close because I've already roughed them in. Yeah. I don't have to move them very far. It's usually just like made a foot or two off, you know? So, um, and that's the process that goes. And then I'll, then I, and then if I, if there's notes I want to clean up, I'll take notes or I'll have my assistant take notes for me. And then later when they're done, then I'll go back and clean up my own notes. So I'm not making the performers wait for me. Yeah. So, um, and I just, it's just a good system. It seems to work. If I'm doing like a, a television show, it's different. Like with, with music or music acts, um, I don't necessarily have to see the band for that. I just get the music and listen to it and program to that, you know, unless there's a yeah. specific blocking thing happening. If it's just a band playing, um, that's a whole different approach. I just have the music. I just listen to the music. A lot of times I listen to it on the airplane just to get a feel for it. And when I get there, I just start feeling it and creating it. So I don't necessarily have a specific thing in mind. You know, I actually went back and watched the show this weekend just because it was fresh. I hadn't seen it since it opened and watch with fresh eyes. And I, I thought, that's pretty good. How did I come up with that? I mean, I, well, I didn't even have that thought process at first, you know, and, um, but it was like, okay, I, you know, I've made a few tweaks to it, you know, but um, I don't know. I just, I just kind of feel it. So I, I, maybe I have a different approach than a lot of people. A lot of people probably do approach it that way too, but I just kind of yeah, feel, just feel it. it out. How, yeah. of, how often is a, just going back to the country tonight theater where you've got, bunch of old fixtures and um you're working with what they have 
I'm assuming every year you're coming in and reprogramming and, and new mm-hmm. show, new everything. How often will you like basically let's completely rework the hang uh, of lights? I mean, a certain amount of things. We did that this year for the yeah. new show. We actually um, stripped everything down and um, still basically hung like the catwalk. We totally stripped that down and started over because it was just, it was just a mess from over the years. The LD we have now, Marshall's amazing. And he, um, you know, he, he was, he, he came in there and cleaned that whole rig up, got dead cable that was been hanging on those electrics for years. I mean, he cleaned everything up, rehung everything, cleaned, took all the Legos apart, cleaned them, you know, and, um, it really gave it a really fresh look this year. Um, the, the, the basic power plot's pretty stand. I mean, I, I'm happy with the, the, the configuration that we have right now. We have added some LED PARs. Um, we've got like probably five different versions of LED PARs up there. They get a good deal on them. Here you go. Yeah. Okay, let's write a profile for this. Let's figure it out, you know, because they're all different, you know. And yeah. Um, but we do have some LEDs in there for, um, you know, scenic stuff. And um, we're starting to slowly replace the PARs with LEDs as we get money. But um, I- I'm glad we still have the PAR rig because I, I nobody's doing it anymore you know it's, yeah. it's just i don't know there's it's a different look and I, I i still like i know it draws a lot of power you know and we still burn through gels after place lamps but it's it's pretty yeah it's you different know, than I, I, I enjoy that one the most yeah it's because i know with lighting nowadays i mean i'm an audio guy but i i i program all the lights in our theater and i've been calling lights and, and a lot of tours and and stuff that i'm involved in so i feel that i have a good eye for it um but so many venues and and you go into and it's like gosh everything just feels the same it's like you got you know the same gobo looks and um you know everyone does the same type of thing and and you know going into a lot of theaters i look in and it's like yeah that hang is all wrong um like it so many people will get an x amount of lights moving lights and say they have I don't know, uh, 18 of them or something like that. They'll put three rows of six stacked right in front of one another. Yeah, yeah. I see that all the time. And I, I come, why'd you, why do you have them all stacked in front of one another? Because you turn them all on, it just looks like someone just hit repeat. And, right, right. And it's hard to get a really cool dimension from it. And everything's looking the same. Most of the time I'll go in if I sit there and I have to go program a show with the LD. I'll eliminate one of the rows um, just so that it doesn't feel like it's being duplicated so much. I said, let's mm-hmm. just use the front row and the back row. And they're like, really? Yeah. And it says, it looks way more dimension. There's more, way more dimension um, or we'll, you know, try to move something. But um, it's interesting. It, it's almost like audio in a, in a way. So when you go in and, and you see all this money being spent, and it's hung, the PA's hung wrong, or it's not right. tuned properly. And I see the same thing with lighting rigs. You kind of go in, it's like, oh gosh, that's who decided to hang it like that? Yeah, I always stagger mine because I, want, I yeah. want that depth. And yeah, you know, I think it comes from like my TV world too. Because I'm used to, you know, I worked with Mark Carver for years on all these you know, award shows, and he really taught me about TV lighting. And you know, I, I do all the eye candy. I don't do the key lighting. I do the, te- you know, the eye candy. But he's making these big looks is angling things out towards the camera and the audience. And a lot of times you're blinding out your audience. But when you do it for TV, 
So, I, you know, my country at night's opposite. I can't blind the audience because they're like 80 years old, you know. Yeah. But, but with the stuff on the mirrors on the floor, it bounces it up and it still gives me those big looks. I'm still coming out over the audience, you know. So I, I stagger everything. Even all my mirrors are staggered so I can get the, that, that depth and dimension from them. We, we carry the majority of our lighting rig with us. And, um, but there are some times I have to use the house rig and improvise, you know, because we just can't fit it in there or it can't support the weight or, you know, so there are some venues we've gone in where I, they're like, Susan, can you use the house rig today? It's like, I'll make it work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but getting back to country and I real quick, another thing we did this year um, and this was all Marshall's idea in the, the house LD there. He's, he's brilliant. He's, 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 I call him MacGyver because he just, he's really, really good. He's very good himself and very good programmer and um, in general, overall everything. And he had this idea because the, the director wanted to use the cycle up more in this particular show. And I'm like, Oh God, I don't have enough lights. You know, I have some colors on that's it. It washes out everything. And yeah. usually I'll project, you know, some moving lights on there, put them in a breakup gobo, take them out of focus, tad texture, but I didn't have, I mean, you can't really do that with, you know, with a Sharpie type fixture, you know? Yeah. And um, I'm like, oh man, okay, I guess we're going to use a slide. And Marshall's like, I got an idea. And they had bought this, I guess a couple of years ago, they bought a video projector that's hung and they, they wanted to have a video at the end of the show before our patriotic section. And he's like, what if we use that? made basically like a media server you know and i was like really so we were like three in the morning we're sitting there he's on his he has an account a digital juice or something yeah and we're downloading <laughs> images you know going oh that's cool and a little animation I'm like oh that'll work for this song oh that'd be perfect and he was editing these images and making images for the songs i'm like what if we did this with this and he's like yeah let's try this and and then he would, he'd go back and he'd plug it in the the and that backstage, the little computer that was driving the video for the, for the uh, projector. Yeah. And it looked awesome. So now, you know, we kind of upgraded our, our show just by just running video, you know, using it like a um, like a media server, but it's not. Just using it. And then he put it, and then he went so far, he put it in QLab. So the guys backstage actually run it. They just, nothing's time-coded there. So yeah. and they just push go, and it runs the video clip for the song. And we didn't tell anybody we did it. So the next night when we came in for the dress rehearsal, the director was sitting in front of me. I said, I think you're going to like what we did last night. He's like, okay. And it was so funny watching him because the song would start. And all of a sudden the little animation came on the screen. He's like, yeah. I mean, he was just going crazy. He kept going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the next song come, he'd go, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it worked. It was very simple. Yeah. You know, it was, but yet it worked and it really gave the show a different look this year. So I didn't hate the cycle much anymore. <laughs> yeah. The videos really changed lighting, um, especially on the big tours where, where you see so much video wall. Um, it's really cut down on, on what the lighting guy has to work with. Cause he's got to almost, he's working around mm -hmm. the video. What, what has been your experience with that? I don't like it. I have to deal with video walls all the time, especially nowadays, like on the ships and everything. And because it washes out everything. Yeah. And I, I usually have to talk to the video guys. Can you dial the intensity down on the wall, please? And, you know, and I, I feel like the one thing I love about Ringo's show is we are old school. We have no video yeah. at all. No media servers, nothing fancy. We have lights. 
And um, I get so many compliments on that show because I, I feel like every show looks alike these days. It's all in your face from the downbeat of that show. It's like, bang, bang, bang. there's so much visual stimulation going on from the minute that show starts that after a while, you're just like, oh, God, everything's swirling around the screen and flashing and blah, blah, blah. Everything's just going, 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 going. And it's like, turn it off. You know, and it's like with Ringo's show, we have um, some dedicated BL3000s on the downstage truss that have custom gobo loads. We have an A load and a B load, and they're all custom that Jeff picked out. And he has these really, we have different backdrops we tour with, and they're usually very colorful. And you first look at it and go, what am I going to do with this? But oh my God, when you put the, the different layers on top of it, like we have some up lights with LEDs on the floor, then... And I put the gobos on them and layer them with some texture and bring that drop to life. It's beautiful. It's not just about gobos up there just spinning around. I mean, there's a couple of songs to do that, like the stars and stuff. And stuff. But there's some cool stuff we've done on these drops. It's beautiful. It animates the drop and brings it to life. And, you know, and I get so many compliments from people saying, wow, you know, that was actually a beautiful show because it wasn't about the, Bling, 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 in your face yeah. and the you know, downbeat, you know? And I think that's what our industry has sort of gotten. There's nothing wrong with it, but I think that's what people kind of are used to now. And I think when they see a show that doesn't have it, they kind of go, oh, this one looks different. Wow, that's nice. Less is more sometimes, you know? Yeah. It, it's funny. You, you can have 500 movers up there. And in some shows I've seen, I'm, I'm, board within 20 minutes of them because they've yeah they've kind of showed everything they could do and now it's just like it's just repeat or it's 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 just now it's not interesting at all and you've got this huge mm -hmm. lighting rig and like so you can go something small you can have eight movers and make it way more interesting than than some people do with a whole whack of them um yeah yeah, yeah. And that's like i said going back to the country night that's what i did with eight movers you know just by you know putting some mirrors around the stage, you know, and I don't use the mirrors every single song, of course, but the songs that you use them in, it's like, wow, that's beautiful. It's usually a, being like a slow song or something, you know, yeah, really powerful and you got these beams everywhere. It's like, that's ah, pretty, you know? Yeah, and I think, too, being an LD, and it's a thing, it's obviously the same with, with an audio guy, having stage experience and being a performer really helps. And... Mm -hmm. You know, there are certainly guys and gals out there who who don't have the experience and, and still do a really great job. Oh, right, yeah. But there, there's something a little special about those people who've had that experience on stage or, or performer. Uh, you know, the hits are right. You know, there's, um, you know, you're not changing lights in the middle of a line, in the middle of a verse somewhere. That doesn't make sense. It all happens right, when right. there's, you know, it, it all makes sense. Um, and yeah, I, I would almost think that as being a lighting person or giving, want to say, how can I make myself better at being an audio guy or an LD, I would be almost saying, learn an instrument or, um, try to get yourself on the other side somehow, uh, to right. get some experience, um, uh, in it, or yeah, just learning an instrument or getting timing better or in the feel better. I think that all uh, is super important that, that 
doesn't really get discussed as much as it should be. I, I agree, and I've had this discussion before. You know, I, I think that's a great idea. People would do that and just learn enough of music theory to know what an intro, a verse, a chorus, a bridge, you know, because I, I, everything I program is very structured. You know, anybody can walk in and run my show if you can, if you understand, because I, I label everything very clearly in my cue list, you know, and if people aren't musical, then I'll put in the notes column, you know, what do you need me to put in here? The dancer standing on here, or this word of the songs when you hit this, because sometimes you have to do that. You have to say on this word of the song, listen to the song or the word or the sound, you're going to hit the go button because they don't understand, they don't have the feeling for when the verse changes and when the chorus changes. And being a musician, obviously, you know, we feel that naturally, you know, and, um, but I've been doing a lot of, um, you know, seminars and, uh, you know, guest, guest, you know, whatever at colleges and full sale and NAM and trade shows for years. And I just started doing this um, little programming one called advanced, uh, advanced programming 101 tips and tricks. It's not about advanced programming. It's just some of my shortcuts and chips. But one of the things I discuss is structuring your cue list. And because you're right, a lot of these kids, they come out and they're hotshot programmers and they learn how to program and, and you watch their projects. And I just sit there and go, because it's just effects engine go, okay, we're going to change the lights here. They're going to flash and they're going to strobe here. They're going to do this. And there's no change. It's not like on a verse or a chorus. It's just random. In the middle of a chorus, all of a sudden they're starting a ballet. You're like, uh, okay, and there's no rhyme or there's no structure, there's no builds, there's nothing building, you know, it's all just every cue's just going to have something swirling around and blinking and flashing. I'm like, let's stop. You know, let me explain. Here's how I, and there's no right or wrong way to do it, but here's how I do it. Here's how I structure it. You know, and I start here with the intro of the song and I go into the verse and as I'm going, it builds and builds and builds. And, you know, and I, that's something that's not, taught and i don't know if it really necessarily can be taught because being creative is just something you, you feel but yeah. i think at uh, least addressing it and trying to explain to somebody why you structure a song rather than just you know let things flash all the time that's what makes that's what makes everyone different because even around here people always say they can tell when it's my show that i have a, a specific a trademark a signature look to my shows i never thought of it that way but when i watch other shows sometimes i go oh I guess I do. It doesn't mean they're bad or they're good. I just, I just see differences. I see a lot of people that are similar. A lot of, a lot of old school, more seasoned people. We do have a, we do program that way. So a lot of my, my colleagues, we all, our shows look very similar, you know? And, um, but then I see a lot of the um, up and coming people that just are great programmers. that just don't have the creativity yet because I just haven't been around it. They just haven't really watched other LDs and it's just about effects engine go. You know, and um, I just like to address that when I'm talking to students about, you know, being creative and feeling it and, and having a purpose and a reason, and, you know, rather than just, you know, letting things flash all the time, you know. So um, it, some can be taught and some just has to be felt, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The best shows is when they when the lights connect to the music really well. Exactly. And mm -hmm. it's kind of becomes one. Um that's those are the shows I really like seeing and and it makes because you're there just a, it's not your show it's not the the lighting show it's you're there to support the entertainer um enhance it like I say yeah. make people see the music and for me you know being a musician and a performer I feel like I'm still performing 
I'm still performing for this audience just from the other side. Yeah. You know, and it's still a rush for me because I want it to look like, wow, and, and really create that mood of that song. And, you know, obviously it's the artist singing it and, and, and feeling it themselves. But when you have this powerful look around making you see it as well, it makes a big difference. It really does. I don't think a lot of people really realize and connect the dots. You know, the people that are my friends that don't do lighting that aren't in entertainment now pay attention to lighting when they go see a show because of what I do. But they, they said, we never realized that before. Now we find ourselves watching the lights going, wow, this, you know, this really goes with music. I'm like, yeah, that's what it's supposed to, you know? Yeah. None of my non musician <laughs> friends like going to concerts with me. <laughs> They're like, that was a really cool song. I'm sorry. I was busy looking at something yeah. or listening or checking something out. And, and I kind of always see and hear everything that's going on. Um, right. Besides the real show, uh, but yeah, it, it's 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 a great great industry. I I, I love lights, I, and and I almost get into the point where I'm like, I'd rather do go out and and be an LD than an audio guy. Um, there's for me, there's always judgmental th- stuff going on with audio. You know, there's always someone has an opinion on, on how it sounds or should sound and and people always leaving other musicians almost always talking about what the audio was like um but they don't comment as much about lighting unless it was really great do you know what i mean yeah you're you're always hearing you know ah that mix sucked or i didn't like the drums or you know there'll be always some negative comment always uh from other people regarding audio but lighting doesn't get that same flack sometimes it's right. kind of you know it's a does that make sense to you yeah i never i never want to do sound especially monitors those are the guys that get yelled at all the time i'm like uh-uh <laughs> yeah, exactly but uh it's so talking about most of the shows you're doing um how much creativity are you given and i guess it certainly depends on uh the show and 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 who you're working with um you're probably at a point now where you're giving a lot of leeway on exactly how to program and what you you feel and want to look how many situations are you in where it's it's uh a pretty strict i want this um very seldom i mean i've, I've been given a lot of of creative control of pretty much every project I'm involved in, even if I'm programming for another designer, you know. Um, but if a director or a designer wants something specific, you know, then they'll say, here's what I'm looking for. And it's just up to me to interpret sometimes what they're seeing in their head. Cause a lot of times they don't know exactly what they want. Sometimes they do. There's other times they don't know, but they think they do. And me as the programmer sitting there going, yeah, how about I try this? I think I know where you're going with this and I got to come up with something really quickly to show them, you know, because sometimes the stuff they're asking for, you're going, that's not work. You don't tell the client unless it unless it's literally not going to work. So lights behind a set piece and they want that light on somebody, yeah. you know, I got to figure out a way to come up with something to, uh, um, to, and then sometimes that's totally opposite of what they asked me for. And they go, Oh my God, I love that. You know? So it's just, you know, getting inside their head sometimes see what they're really going for and even this you know the recent you know the director i'm like if anything specific you're looking for tell me i'm, I'm not going to sit there and look at you and say no 
you know, I'm, I'm open for suggestions. It doesn't mean everything I do is right or wrong. They may want something a different color or they want a different bobo or they want the stage no lights on. It's one single light up. All right. Hey, the same way for me. You want one light on for this song? All right. You know, so, but at the same time, my name is on it. So I want to look, I want light to look good. So I'm going to pick the right yeah. light, you know? So, um, but for the most part, I'm given a lot of creative control um, as far as, you know, and if they want to change something, I'll gladly change it, you know, and um, they'll sometimes give me a little direction of what they're looking for. But uh, a lot of times I just do it. And then at this point, they're focusing on, especially like when we're installing a new show on a ship or something, and they're, they're too busy focusing on the singers and the dancers and the blocking and, you know, lighting just magically just happens. You know, they forget about me. You know, then when we finally do a rehearsal, then I go, y'all see something want to change? You know, are you happy with it? And well, it's a little too bright here. Can you make it a little brighter here? Okay, you know, let's go fix it, you know? But, um, you know, it's amazing how so many people think sound lights just magically happen. And I actually have this conversation. We have we have a, two little kids in our show, and this one little eight-year-old girl, she's adorable. And we were talking the other day, and I said, yeah, I said, we were, we were talking about ghosts, you know, theater ghosts and stuff. And I said, yeah, I said, I've spent many a nights overnight in this theater. She goes, oh, you sleep here? <laughs> I said, no. I said, you know all the lights on stage that you're in? I said, I have to stay here at night. I said, I stay here at night when you guys go home. And she's like, really? I said, yeah. I said, we got to program all these lights to do all the stuff that they do and change colors and move around. And I was explaining to her what I did. And she was just like, her eyes were like this big. And she's like, oh, wow. I said, yeah. I said, so I have to be here at nighttime when you guys are gone and you're sleeping so I can do all this stuff, you know, because nobody's here. It's easier. She's like, wow. Oh, you know, she's just trying to process it in her head because she thought, you sleep here? <laughs> all right let's uh have a, a couple of questions to, to kind of wrap up our our podcast here today and one would be what was your worst horror story live uh show story do you have one of those that you know everything kind of went wrong type of shows or or days yeah i've had a lot of those <laughs> Um, I think though the most challenging position I was put in was many years ago actually. This when I first started doing lighting. When I was with touring, when I told you I was touring with Louise Mandrell, and uh, I got to a gig, and it was literally just a 120k rig. It was just 60 upstage, 60 downstage, simple par rig, no moving lights, nothing. And I get there that day and I was all excited that I actually had all my lights and it was a, it was a corporate gig. So I had all my lights. Oh, wow. I'm going to have a decent show tonight, you know? Well, something happened with the module and the dimmer rack and it would not receive anything from the lighting console. And they changed it the lighting console. I couldn't control the dimmer rack at all. And, and at this point, the lighting company couldn't get another dimmer rack. The dimmer rack turned on, the lights turned on, but there was no way to control the lights. And I thought, how am I going to do this? And I thought it was like 10 minutes before the show. And here's, this, I was new at the time, but I came up with this. I said, um, somebody will grab me some tape, grab me some board tape. I labeling all these demos right now, you know, red, amber, blue, pink, whatever. Just start labeling them downstage, upstage. Right. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay. So I started mapping out my songs, what colors I wanted for each song. 
I said, okay, I'm going to be on headset out front with calling spot cues. And I said, but y'all going to be on headset back here. I'm going to call you dimmer cues. <laughs> so at the top of the show, I said, all right, guys, stand by. I turn all the downstage pink on, the, you know, the, the R33. It's like my front watch. And I want all the reds and ambers on. And go. And they're turning all the dimmer on. Okay. There's my look for this I knew the next song, I had I had a ballad three songs in, so I thought, okay, the next song, I'm going to remove the amber and add the blue in and go. Click, 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 click. So they're back there, turn off all the ambers or turn off all the blues. Okay, so now I've got red and blue on the stage. All right, guys, the next song is a ballad. You're going to turn off all the front pink and all the blues that are, that are on are going to come on, and that's it. Turn off the reds. And, go. and that's how my whole show went. Wow. And I still had a show. And it made me think I had to think ahead of what colors I wanted so I could at least remove stuff gracefully as much as I could. I mean, there was no dimming. It was just on or off, you know. But, you know, I got through the show, and I, I, that was probably the most awkward situation I was put in because it was like, and thank God it was park hands. And thank God it wasn't moving lights because I, obviously I couldn't use those. So at least I had an option to at least have a look, a different look for each song. You know, so that was definitely a challenging day because I thought, how am I going to pull this off? I don't want the lights just to be all the same look the entire show. I'm like, I'm going to do something creative here. So that was probably one of the, I I, I wouldn't say it was a horror story. It wasn't the best day I've had on the road, you know, walking in and all of a sudden you're like, by the way, your lighting console won't control the dimmers. The show must go on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, I would have loved to seen that. That's pretty good. Speaking of calling fall spots, what's, What's the largest number of spots you've ca- called? Just five. Five, yeah. We used to have a, a I don't have a call. I, I love calling spot cues. And that's another art form, too, that is dying because um, I hear that a lot. I have spot ops because I'm old school. I still call very, I mean, I, and I, I call things in advance. You know, I give a lot of standbys and I, I'm always thinking ahead of what spot needs to hit who. And I'm very, very clear. I didn't realize that that was anything special until to this day I, I have spot ops come to me after the show and say thank you for calling such a great show it's refreshing i'm like do people not call spot cues anymore do they just you know and a lot a lot of people just scream and yell get the guy get the guy get the guy what guy you know the guitar player, which guitar player and you know the spot ops get very frustrated and i'm very clear and precise on what spot number is getting what person i describe the person to them and even if i have a spot meeting before the show to tell them Here's all the people. I'll call these two. I'm giving you an idea of what your your main guy is going to be. You know, like for Ringo's show, I have specific spots for specific band guys, and this is who your home base guy is going to be. It's not the only guy you're going to get, but it's the guy you're going to get a lot. And yeah. even in different, yeah. it helps even in different languages. I have a little map. I show them spot one. This guy here, guitar main guy. You know, so but I'm very clear calling spot cues, and apparently, um, a lot of people don't call them anymore. And which is surprising and people do, you know what I'm saying? But I think it's a lost art form and I really enjoy it. But with Ringo, um, we, we used to have five spots. Now we have four because we had a, a trust spot for a rear spot for backlight. Yep. But now wow. we actually have a moving light um, for backlight. So that eliminates having to have somebody climb up on the trust for the show. But I still have four spots for that show, but I never, I don't have the big stadium tours where I've got like, you know, 12 spots or anything crazy. Yeah, I always look at that. That's got to be a, when you're calling twelve spots. That's got to be a nightmare. Yeah. So yeah, I just my my hats off to the people that do that because that would be to me. I think that'd be kind of confusing. 
but they got it down. So yep, it still works. For me, I'd I'd rather lose follow spots that are going to the wrong person and chasing people. That's the one thing when I go see a show and the and the spots are you know are you know the follow spots on the wrong player. Um, Oh, that just, that's the one thing that just drives right. me absolutely crazy. The steel guitar player is playing a solo and the fall spots on the guitar player or the bass player or, or right. something. It's just so awkward. <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, you, you are multitasking. Cause I'm here, I'm, I'm running, nothing's time code on Ringo. I'm running it live. I want to run it live because, you know, I, I enjoy running it and have a little few manual things I do. And so I'm doing that. I'm watching the stage. I'm watching the band. I'm watching the lights. But I'm also having to call spots and, you know, kind of multitasking, but, but I've got to where I'm kind of in autopilot with it. But then the challenge comes when like, so, yeah, I always request four spotlights, but sometimes I might have three and some rare instances, Susan, you got to do it two tonight. Woo. Then I really got to think, you know, okay, how do I do this? You know, and I'm really having to be on my toes, you know, and think quickly. And I'm out of habit. I'm always used to calling this specific spot number for this guy. Oh wait, no, tonight it's going to be this and bear with me guys, you know, but um, there's some nights too that I get not so good spot operators, and I'm all I'm all about people as long as they're trying. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're all new at one time, so I mean, we all have had a first time, and that's great. You know, but when they don't care or they just don't want to be there, you know, and I usually tell the whoever's in charge of the spotlights that night, I'm like, look, how how are my spots tonight? And some some be like, well, we got a couple of new guys. I'm like, okay, I put put your this is no nothing negative. I said, but put your weakest guy on the spotlight. I need your strongest ones on this spotlight. This is Ringo's. And, you know, let's just, these spotlights are my key ones that are very, very busy. This is my least busy one. Yeah. And I'm always very diplomatic about it. But I, I did have one instance where um, the venue actually came and apologized to me afterwards because this guy clearly did not want to be up there. He did not want to listen to me. He did not want to take any direction from me. So I literally went, he wants to play this game? Okay. I'm just going to quit calling his spot and make him sit there the whole show doing nothing. And he didn't even realize. I mean, I, I was like, I can't deal with this guy anymore. He's intentionally making mistakes, intentionally not listening to me. And I'm like, okay, so I, I literally just reshifted my thinking to use the other spots the entire show. And it called the, it, it, yeah, I had to do this on the, you know, right there. I didn't have time to really think about it. It was just like, I'm done with this guy. I'm done with him. He's being a jerk. You know what? He's going to sit there the whole show doing nothing. So he did. So afterwards, I came down and the other spots, they knew, they knew, they figured out what happened. And they're like, Susan, we are so sorry. And I said, I want to thank you guys. You guys were awesome. You guys saved the show. You guys were wonderful. I really appreciate you guys. And they're like, yeah, that guy's a jerk. He didn't want to be here. And they're like, you need to complain about him because, you know, he's, he's like that. And I, I said, I will, because that was unprofessional. And I said, you guys were professional. I really appreciate it. I went to the house LD and he already had known what happened. So he came up to me. He's like, I'm so sorry, Susan. I'm so, so sorry. He's like, please don't hate us. I'm like, no, you guys have been great. Everyone else here has been wonderful today. I said, but that guy's a jerk. He's unprofessional, and and I, he goes, could you just write something? Our boss needs to see that because nobody seems to believe this guy. We get these complaints about him all the time. I'm like, well, I'm not a person that complains a lot. But I said, I, you guys, you need to know about this because this guy was unprofessional. And how many other people has he done? I don't know if he did it because I was a girl 
or if he just did it just because he was just in general was a jerk. But I think it was a combination of all of it. So that was the only time I really had a major. Now I've had people that are bad just because they just didn't know what they were doing, but they were at least were trying. Yeah. This guy clearly did not want to be there. And so I was like, all right, dude, you going to play this game? You're just going to sit there for two hours doing nothing. <laughs> so he did. Uh, I was going to ask you too, what type of situation being a female coming into a very male dominated business, um, you know, how, how has that been over the years? I'm, I'm assume, assuming it's getting, it's way better than it used to be. It is. It's, it's better. It, it, I do still have pushback sometimes, you know, um, but the way I, I approach it, you know, I always, you know, treat people like I want to be treated and I go in and, um, you know, get with the union steward or the, whoever the crew chief is that day. And, you know, who do I have to work with me to get the lights hung? You know, cause you know, we, you know, I'm involved in loaded and loaded. I'm not a white glover, you know, I'm actually involved in the whole thing. And yeah. for the most time, you know, part people are willing to work with me and they realize I'm not going to be mean or, you know, you know, cranky or, you know, I'm not trying to be bossing and boss people around. I always ask them, Hey, can you go over and help me with this? And Hey, do you guys know how to do this? I'm not, I'll show you. It's no big deal. You know? So, and, they, get, they gain usually a good respect from me. And, and I have had a couple gigs where some of the older, older season, you know, guys are like, oh, who's this chick coming here, you know? And, and they'll, they'll give me kind of a hard time sometimes. And I'll just usually go get my Emmy at that point and say, these guys don't want to listen to me today. But I never, you know, develop an attitude. I figured, you know, karma, you know, it all comes back. And I did have one guy, I think it was last year. Um, the whole day, he just wanted to do things his way. And I'm like, Okay, tell Matt, can you guys pull a snake? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. We're going to do this first. Okay. You know, I, I just kind of rolled with it as long as the job got done. But I was like, I told Miami, I said, this guy's being a jerk, man. He will not take any direction from me. It's always going to be, every time I ask him for something, it's always going to be something else or something else going to get done first. This, you know, I thought, I'm just going to work. I'm just going to play along with him because I don't want to make my day horrible. So um, he ended up being one of my spot ups at night. And all day long, he just had this. And um, after the show, he actually came up to me and he said, that was a really nice looking show. And I said, thank you. And he goes, and you called a really good show. He goes, you really called a good show. And I'm thinking, are you the same guy that was treating me like this, you know, you know I was doing this earlier today? I just kind of went, oh, thanks. I'm thinking, hey, thanks, I think, you know? Yeah. And, um, they always have to get these custom gels for us for the Legos. And um, he came up to me and he goes, Hey, you know, take these gels. You can have these gels if you want to have them for spares for your tour. And all of a sudden he was like being nice. Like he developed this respect for me when he realized that I was professional. I knew what I was doing and I wasn't just, you know, some girl showing up going, Oh, you know? And so I mean, I earned his respect by the end of the day, but it was, I get that every now and then where you have some of these guys who just don't want to listen to me, you know, and if I don't fight them or do anything unprofessional, I just go, well, this is how they want to do it today, you know, as long as the job gets done. And if I do have a hard time with somebody, I will go to Miami and say, can you go deal with this guy? Because he clearly does not want to listen to me. So I, I still do get that sometimes. But for the majority, I, I think they all, a lot of them know me now because we've been to these venues before. They're very respectful to me. and they Opposite direction, they go above and beyond to help me. What do you need next, Susan? What do you need? Now? You need guys? You need this? What do you need? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, no. It was good to have you back again. Yay. And I know it's going to be a great day on those days, you know. And 
I have people more than willing to help me. Well, we'll get that. I have no problem pushing a road case or taking something up, but I also have no problem asking for help if it's too heavy for me, you know? So like half the time I was like, oh, we got it. I'm like, okay. You know, but I'm never like, can y'all get this for me? I can't make it up. Yeah. I'm not that guy. <laughs> and I think they respect that too, because I'm not just, even when I go into a union house, you're not supposed to touch anything. You know, I'll go out in front of house and go, okay, if I, you know, get my console and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll come out and help you in. And I plug this in. Yeah, yeah, go ahead and plug it. I mean, so as, as long as you're just professional about it, for the most part, you know, I don't have a problem. But there are days when I have had, you know, little issues and go. And actually, I, I got pushed back from a girl one time, which was very funny because she was an older lady. And she worked in this theater. She was like one of the house LD. So she just had her little, she wanted to mark her territory. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not here trying to take your job. I'm just here to do a show. And she just was giving me a hard time all day long. And um, just at one point, I was downstage putting the lights up. And uh, I was like, she's like, hey, we got this. We know how to do this. If you just want to go out front and do your console, we'll take care of this. And as I walked away, I heard her say, um, like how I handled that, basically getting rid of me. Yeah. And I was just like, so I go to my ME, I'm like, and, and, and she'd been giving him a hard time too. So it wasn't just me, but I think because I was a female, I think she looked at me as competition or something, you know? Yeah. And uh, I go over to him. I said, this lady is being a few choice words. I said, I'm not dealing with her. So the show came and gone. And fast forward to a few months, I was doing a panel at like LDI or one of the big trade shows. I had my own session and who was in the audience for her? And I'm like, I'm like, you had no idea who I was, did you? <laughs> you know, and I just looked at her with that look of, you know, and she, and she was just like, and then she came up to me after and she goes, hi, um, do you remember me? I'm like, sure do. You know, it was almost like that karma thing. Like, you know, <laughs> you thought I was just some little girl coming through there. I'm like, be careful how you treat people because it can come back on you later. You know, you never know who's going to be your boss or, you know, who, who you're treating like crap, you know? Yeah, because a lot of those venues you're just coming back through over and over again i mean it's great because you get you get to know everybody and it makes your day easier when you've you've come back a couple a few times and um you don't have to sit there and kind of prove yourself or whatever you want to put it um so i'm not there taking anybody's job no. gosh i'm not if they're jealous because i have my job well get out of there and go get a tour go go you i i do this i didn't take your job I'm here because I chose to be here on this tour. If you don't like being here in this theater, then get out. We'll find something else. Yeah. That's yeah, true. You know, so I know it's karma. Treat people like you want to be treated because you never know. You don't want to burn bridges. It's a small industry. We all know each other or know of each other, you know, and you just, yeah. you don't want to burn any bridges. So I just try to hold my, even when I get, get irritated with somebody, I really try hard just to deep breath. There's a way to handle this. You know, you don't want to leave here with a, with a bad, mark on you you know exactly well let's wrap up with this last question i always like to ask everybody this uh do you have a venue uh or a place out there that you haven't done a show in that you've always wanted to do a show um not really <laughs> i mean I've, I've been i guess i've never done a show in madison square garden that'd be kind of neat now we've done radio city music hall we've done i mean we've done a lot i've done the opry we've done the ryman we've done all these cool historical places offhand no i mean i i think it would be cool to be in madison square garden just because i've never been there but in particular is there a place that i've been dying to get into not really 
<laughs> it's very rare I get that answer because it's usually, well, the Ryman obviously comes up a lot from a lot of people and uh, a lot of venues. Uh, the Red Rock comes up a lot. Um, the Hollywood Bowl comes up a lot. And, yeah, I've been Hollywood. I've done Hollywood yeah. Bowl. I've done the Greek. I have not done Red Rock. And the only reason I don't, I'd like to see a show there, but not necessarily do a show because when you start doing Red Rock and all these wineries, because we've done a lot of wineries, they're a pain in the butt to load in and load out. They're not fun at all. Half the time, I don't know about Red Rock, but I, I heard that. I don't think that's the ideal load-in situation either. I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, but some of these wineries where you got to offload your stuff into a smaller truck and, you know, it's just like, it's just a long day. And I'm like, I, I, I'm good. <laughs> I like to see uh, a show at Red Rock, but do I want to do in there? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure I've ever done it. Well, cool. Uh, it's been a great conversation and uh, you, you do a fantastic job and, and I always love seeing uh, when you post your looks up on, on the socials and, and uh, see what you're doing at the time, I always stop and take a look. And, oh, thank uh, you. Yeah, it's fantastic. And uh, if anyone wants to uh, touch base with you, what's the best way to uh, see what you're doing on the socials and that? I'm on, I'm on Facebook, you know, under Susan Rose. Um, I also have a website. There are actually two websites. They're linked together, actually. My squintress.com will take you right to my lighting page, S-Q-U-I-N-T-R-E-S-S.com. And if you forget that, if you just go to susanrosemusic.com, that's my music website. But you can click on the tab that says lighting, and um, I got some pictures and stuff on there, too. I haven't updated it recently, but there's some cool pictures on there. And um, But, yeah, and then, like I said, Facebook. Instagram, Susan Rose Music, Twitter. I'm not on much, but I do have a Twitter, Susan Rose Music. So, um, yeah. But yeah, Susan Rose on Facebook. And then if you want to email me, I have Squintress again, S Q U I N T R E S S at gmail.com. Excellent. Cool. Well, thank you. Again. Music out, if you want to check my music out, that website will take you to my music too. I'm very, very traditional country. So if you want a little bit of country music, there you go. That's the, it's the only kind, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> country and I'm western. A big, I'm a big traditional country music fan, so that's good. Uh, so, yeah, just hang on a minute. We'll wrap up here. Thanks again. And uh, hopefully one of these days we'll run into one another. And uh, I'd love to uh, uh, meet up with you at one point at a show. I know I think we've crossed paths with the Ringle store, uh, show a couple times when I've been on the road. Or uh, I know you've been up here to Casino Rama. You've done Rama. That's where uh, we were supposed to start the tour this summer. We were supposed yeah. to be there. Yeah, I do a lot of shows up there. I love um, Casino Rama. <laughs> oh, I know it's it's a fun place. It's a nice place to hang for a couple of days too, and yeah, um, nice crew and uh, nice guys there. So, well, next time if, if we do tour next year, that's probably where we're going to start. We do our rehearsals there, so yeah, come up and see us. Yeah, I will for sure. All right, once again, we're done uh, with Susan Rose. Make sure you check her out on the uh, socials and uh, all of her great stuff. And if you happen to be at a Ringle. Uh, show make sure you wave as you go by and give a big <laughs> thumbs up <laughs> thanks again susan thank you i appreciate it uh.